Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, January 21st, and this is your FT News Briefing. Joe Biden is sworn in as the 46th president of the United States, and corporate America tells him he can't have everything he wants. Europe's top official for digital policy talks to us about the EU's landmark proposal to regulate big tech. When you do business and you're successful, well, we will applaud you. But with success and strength and power also comes responsibility. And the latest quarterly earnings showed the top U.S. banks are in pretty good shape. But what does that mean for the rest of the economy? We'll take a closer look. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Joe Biden's inauguration speech covered many of the things he wants to tackle over the next four years, but he zeroed in on one goal in particular. To restore the soul and secure the future of America requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity. The heavily guarded celebration had no security issues, despite concerns stemming from the attack on the Capitol two weeks ago. The major U.S. stock indices ended the trading day higher, buoyed by hopes for Biden's stimulus plan, and American business leaders have backed the new president. But as the FT's U.S. business editor, Andrew Edgecliffe Johnson, reports, executives are also signaling areas where they won't give in. Edge joins me now to talk about this. So, Edge, where is corporate America going to dig in their heels? So what's been really interesting over the last week is the reminder of those enduring areas where business is always going to be the right to the right of a democratic administration, and that is first and foremost corporate taxes, and secondly, regulation. So those, I think, are going to be the big flashpoints. I think there's a third one coming, and that is the Biden administration's desire to dramatically increase the minimum wage. Where do you see business leaders willing to compromise, given a little bit, to help the administration achieve its economic goals? Yeah, I think there are a lot of shades of gray here. I mean, I was listening to a press conference earlier this week with the chief executive of Walmart, Doug McMillan, who was saying they're not opposed to an increase in the minimum wage. They themselves have increased um, their starting wages in Walmart over recent years. It's just that groups like the Chamber of Commerce believe that $15 is unaffordable and that that it'll do great damage to small businesses and therefore to the economy. So there is a negotiation that's going to be possible here. I think Joe Biden's party, particularly the the liberal wing of his party, is very, very animated by essentially doubling the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. And so if they push him to stick to that number, I think it's going to be different and difficult. But even also on regulation, we can't simply say that all businesses are against all regulations. We had fascinating moments in the Trump administration where some business, big businesses actually appealed against the deregulation that the Trump administration was proposing, particularly in environmental areas. So there is some common ground on individual pieces of regulation. I think there is still a fairly familiar mood that uh, too much regulation is a bad thing. Andrew Edgecliffe Johnson is the FT's U.S. business editor. Thank you, Edge. Thank you, Mark. Another task facing the Biden administration is how to regulate social media or other tech companies to hold them more accountable for content posted on their sites. Europe already has draft legislation aimed at big tech. Yesterday on The Briefing, we talked about this with the EU official leading this effort, Danish politician Margaret Vestager. 
Today, we'll hear the second part of our conversation with the FT's Brussels correspondent, Javier Espinoza. He joins me now. Hi, Javier. Hey, Mark. So, Javier, how important are these proposals, the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act? They are a a piece of landmark legislation in the EU. And actually, worldwide, Brussels wants to lead the way in terms of how to regulate big tech. It sounds surprising, but for the last two decades, there hasn't been a comprehensive set of rules that tackles big tech and takes into account the way that they operate now. So what's the EU's approach? How, how are they going about this? Well, I asked Vestager what the goal of the new legislation was, and she said it's to open markets because it's good for innovation and customers. So we have taken all our experience from the antitrust work and what we know from unfair trading practices and turn that into a prohibition list and an obligation list that will then be imposed on what we call gatekeepers, the big ones, the ones that you have to deal with if you want to do online business. We're already seeing similar initiatives in France, in Germany, with some believe maybe undermining the Commission's goal of having unified rules. Oh, but I have seen this as an encouragement because I think that is really a a very strong argument to say to the platforms, well, you either have this or you would have a completely fragmented European sort of legal system because the French and the German and actually a number of other member states, they are pushing this for exactly the same reasons as we are pushing this. And we have a very good cooperation with both the French and the German to be able to fold in their national initiatives so that we can have pan-European legislation. Because that is, of course, the thing that is beneficial for the platforms. It may be strict. It may put a lot of obligations and a number of restrictions on what they can do. But at least it has pan-European scale. Often when people talk about tech legislation, We get a lot of comments on the FT saying, oh, this is just the EU legislating because they cannot innovate. Oh, but this is a myth because Europe is a very innovative continent. Not only do we take out more patents than anywhere else in the world, but also you see that some of the US tech giants, they have been on a shopping spree in Europe buying hundreds of small innovative companies. So basically, this is an effort to open the marketplace so that there is bigger room for scale-up for those who have those ambitions. And the thing is, when you do business and you're successful, well, we will applaud you. But with success and strength and power also comes responsibility. What's going to be the biggest challenge for the Commission when pushing through these two pieces of legislation, the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act? Uh, To maintain the necessary speed, I have a sense of urgency, and I think that more and more people share this with me. I think the events in the U.S. also increase this sense of urgency. And the second thing, of course, is the risk of massive lobbying. We see that the lobbying budget for big tech has been increasing in Brussels over the last uh, years. You know, on the one hand side, of course, to listen very carefully to justified criticism, to find good solutions, while at the same time to fend on uh, lobbying that just has the purpose of protecting something that we actually want to change. That was the FT's Brussels correspondent, Javier Espinoza, interviewing the European Commission's executive vice president in charge of digital policy, Margaret Vestager. We'll be returning to the question of how countries regulate big tech 
throughout the year on the briefing. Morgan Stanley said yesterday that earnings for the last three months of 2020 jumped more than 50% from where they were a year earlier. Profits for the year hit a record high of $11 billion. The strong results mirror other Wall Street banks. They've benefited from the boom in trading, IPOs, and debt issuance. Here to talk more about this is the FT's U.S. Finance Editor, Rob Armstrong. Hey, Rob. Hey, it's good to be here. Good to have you back, Rob. Um, so what do these earnings tell you about how banks have done in the pandemic economy, though the pandemic isn't over yet? Well, we see the first green shoots of spring in the form of loan loss reserve releases. That means, to a greater or lesser degree, all of these major banks took some of the money they had put aside, fearing for big loan losses because of the coronavirus, and said, actually, we don't need to have these reserves. What that means is, you know, these companies are changing their view of the economy, just like the rest of us are. They're seeing slow progress on the vaccine. They're seeing consumer expenditures slowly start to pick up momentum. And they're saying it ain't going to be as bad as the worst case scenario. So, Rob, things are looking pretty good for banks. Uh, Is this a good sign for the broader economy? Will banks be doing more lending? What can we look out for? Well, what we did not see this quarter from the big banks was evidence of loan demand or loan growth. In the case of most of the big banks, indeed, their portfolio of loans shrank. We all know that we have a deeply bifurcated economy where most people and most businesses are actually doing fine, but there's a significant minority of both that are really struggling. The issue is that among those people or businesses who are in real trouble, there is no reason for them to take out a loan. Yes, money is cheap. But if they don't know the future of their business, taking out a loan equals taking on yet more risk. If you are running a restaurant right now, regardless of what the interest rate on the loan you might get, regardless of your capacity to get that loan in the first place, would you want to do it when you know it might land you in bankruptcy down the road if your business doesn't recover? So there is a deep question about demand for credit. And we'll know we have finally gotten to a proper recovery when demand for loans increases. Now, on the flip side of the coin, something we heard from the banks this week was that the big businesses that are thriving despite the coronavirus, money is very available to them and they've been able to raise it in the bond market or from equity investors or anybody else. So it's really a tale as it has been all along, still a tale of two economies. Rob Armstrong is the FT's U.S. finance editor. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT news briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. 
Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.